Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the Senior Pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. We've begun this series called Dreams. We're looking at these stories in the scripture where God spoke to people in dreams. So far, we've seen how God can encounter us in a variety of ways, and God could encounter us even as we dream. We're born to dream, to encounter God, to long for more. And as we talk about dreams here, we do really mean dreams. But we also are talking about the things we may daydream about. Passions, needs, and gifts. Things that God has given us. Things that emerge for us through reflection and prayer and study. But all of these things are encounters with the divine. In Acts chapter 2, the church is born and the Holy Spirit descends on God's people. We find in Peter's sermon a quotation. He says, in the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream Dreams. This is not just a vision for some day way out there, but for the reality of the church. That even now, God might be encountering us, or as we said last week, God might bump in to us. Do we believe it? Can we encounter the divine, even in a world that is so committed to the things we can measure and see and observe, is there space to encounter God? Theologian Karl Rahner said, in the future, the Christian of the future will be a mystic, one who encounters God or not exist at all. And today, I want us to ask if we might be open to what we will discover when God bumps in to us. Famous writer and thinker C.S. Lewis famously said, if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I love this quote because it reminds us that reality is bigger than we might perceive, that there are things beyond what we just are immediately engaging with, that we're made for more. But I do have a quibble with C.S. Lewis here, and I don't recommend having quibbles with C.S. Lewis, but I have a few, and here's one of them. The way that this is phrased, I think it makes us think that, yes, we're made for another world someday in the future that we float off to, fly away to. But Jesus was saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is among you. I'm convinced that the other world we are meant for has already broken in all around us. 
that if we are paying attention, God might reveal to us beauty and hope and love that we long for, that we might bump into God in the here and now. Theologian and professor Dale Allison tells this story. He's a renowned seminary professor and theologian, grew up in a fundamentalist kind of church and explored that for a while. When he was 16, though, he was just outside looking at the stars. You know what the stars look like when it's dark, like we're near in a place where there's no light pollution. He's looking at the stars, and he had this moment where it seemed like the stars came close to him, this transcendent encounter that he really can't describe. He spent years after that trying to get words and ideas right, right? Studying, that was all very good. But it was all sparked by this moment of encounter when God bumped in to him. He writes, ultimately then, I'm a professor at a seminary, not so much because I have the requisite credentials, but because the stars came down one night when I was 16 years old. So why are you where you are? If you are a follower of Jesus, why? And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, but you're in this room at a church, or you're listening online and engaging in this way, why? How did you get here? It's a fantastic question. A question we should ask. It's a question that's rumbled through the generation. And the people of Israel in the Hebrew Bible, they ask this question. It's an important question for us to continue to ask in whatever situations we find ourselves are practices. How did we get here? We should continue to ask this question. Even now, as war is raging around the globe, we might ask that question, how did we get here? The ancient Israelites told stories to remember how they got where they got. And that's one of the stories we'll turn to today, this early story of the people of Israel, a people called by God through Abraham to bless the whole world. Eventually, they would be enslaved in Egypt, and in that time of enslavement, God would hear their cry and set them free. After their freedom, God would give them a vision for how they are to be in an encounter with God on the mountain. But wait, how did they get into Egypt in the first place, we might ask? Today's story gives us some of that why and that how when God bumps into a young boy named Joseph, and that encounter sets off a chain reaction in the lives around him. So if you'll look with me in Genesis 37, we recap some of Jacob's story there with the kids, and now we turn to chapter 37 of Genesis. We'll start in verses 1 through 4. Jacob, also known as Israel, settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien in the land of Canaan. And these are the descendants of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age. 
And he made him an ornamented robe. Some translations might say coat of many colors, right? And when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Sounds like a fun family reunion, right? Joseph is at the wide age of 17. Do you remember being 17? What were you worried about, thinking about, dreaming about? He's the second youngest of the family, and we see that his brothers are from his father's other wives, but his mother, we learned earlier in the story, is father's most beloved wife. And it seems in the story at this point, she likely has already died. And so at this point, we have this father and this son, the son of the wife that he loves so deeply, and so he is the most beloved. If you are an older sibling... I'm an older sibling. You know how younger ones tend to get away with everything, right? Here we find this young sibling who is favorited. Of course, the youngest, the beloved. My youngest is 10 minutes younger than her brother, and even she gets away with more than anybody else. So we're introduced to this family. It's in a state of confusion and dysfunction. We have this triangle of relationships of a father who shows favoritism to one son, a son who is, let's be honest, spoiled by that favoritism, and then the other brothers who resent their young brother for all the affection and the love that has been shown to him. It's a mess. Sound familiar? Don't look around if you're here with your family. Don't, you know, but, but families are messy, right? We talk about the church being a family and it's messy too. We celebrate that we're a family. There's beauty in that, but let's be honest, there's mess. It seems that the father is grieving and this anxiety is rising. There's a lot of mouths to feed. So Jacob projects onto his son this love, too much pressure, too much ego, probably not enough good socialization. And we learn that he made this report to his father about his brothers. We don't know what they did to earn this report. We don't even know if they did earn this report. All we know is that they see that their brother is a tattletale, and it adds to the hatred. And it is in this context that God bumps in to Joseph in a dream. Here's Joseph smothered by one parent, grieving another, navigating jealousy and the hatred of his brothers. And yet, despite all this dysfunction, God bumps into him anyway. That's encouraging to me as I parent and am convinced that I'm going to mess it up. That God can still work anyway. May we ask God to bump into us and our children. But let's keep reading the story. Verse 5, once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright. This is like, like a 
like a group of like wheat, right? Stood and upright, and then all of your sheaves gathered around, and you bowed down to mine. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. And he had another dream, and he told it to his brother, saying, Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What kind of dream is this that you've had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. And his father kept the matter in his mind. Joseph has this dream of course he does. His older brothers are all in these important roles in the family, doing all of the things, and he's young, and he's bored. Something I believe that we should be cultivating, that's another sermon. But when was the last time you were bored, you know? When you weren't so easily able to distract yourself, but slow down and pay attention and dream. Joseph dreams. Just like his father dreamed. Last week we talked about perhaps God bumped into Jacob in a dream because it was only then when Jacob was sleeping that he could slow down enough and give up enough control to notice God. Now Joseph has this encounter. And his dreams are intense. And when we first read them, we might think this is just a kid who thinks a little bit too highly of himself. And there's some truth there, perhaps. He certainly could have gotten some advice somewhere on like maybe how to share this information a little bit more tactfully. If you know the story, what happens is his brothers are so angered and threatened by the dream that they sell this favorite brother into slavery. Eventually he will end up in Egypt as the right-hand man to the Pharaoh, and when the famine strikes, because of how he has been heard from God and knows to look for God to speak. He knows that famine is coming and he has gotten Egypt to be prepared for it. And so when his family back home is facing death because of lack of food, they go to Egypt and they bow down to the right-hand person in charge of the food and it's their brother that they cast out. So this dream is going to come true This youngest will be raised up. God will do something abnormal, will do something you didn't expect, will upset the way things are for God's purposes and God's promises to bless all people through these people. The brothers, when they first hear the dream, they don't like it. The father reacts when he hears this idea of him bowing down to his son. That's not how we do things around here. They see the dream as a threat. I like how one theologian puts it when he says, the brothers are not political theorists, but they know the threat of hope. They have things the way they want them, thank you very much, so the brothers resist. The father is not directly opposed to dreaming, but he likes things the way they are. He at least would like to delay it. They decide to stand in the way of the dreamer. Do we ever stand in the way of other people's dreams? 
Do you ever discourage those who bumped into God? Nope, doesn't work that way. Nope, can't work like that. Nope, that is not how you do it. I'm not saying we just go with every whim of everybody, but do we have people space to dream? Do we have space to dream? What if, unlike the father and the brothers, we reacted less but approached the dreams of others with curiosity? What if instead of, that'll never work, that's not how we do things, we said, tell me more about it. What if we fostered wonder and creativity and safety in our midst? What if we built relationships for feedback? What if we asked what we asked in the children's message, could this be good not just for us, but for the world? So Joseph's dream is this vision for how the family will survive a terrible famine. His rise in Egypt gives him the power and authority to save his brothers and set their people on a trajectory that will eventually lead through a Red Sea, will lead to a mountain where God will speak, will eventually lead to a small town where a baby will be born who will rescue the whole world. That's a dream. Are we dreaming? Hang out with small kids and watch how they imagine. Watch how they dream. But as we grow, we play less. See, those dreams don't really make sense. But Jesus said we should have faith like children. Watch a young Christian, a new to the faith Christian, and watch how they are foolish enough to think they can change the world. But what if Jesus, when Jesus says, have faith like a child, have faith like a 17-year-old who dreams what if Jesus is telling us that the children are wise enough to know they can change the world? So Joseph dreams, and it threatens the way things usually go, the status quo, the way they've always done things. And the brothers, the father, they become dream killers. Are we open to dreams that might threaten us? Are we willing to share dreams that we have that, that, that may cause some consequences? What if we were a community of people who enabled people to dream? Who encouraged people to dream, to see who God has made them to be, and how God has created them and called them, and let them run? My friend uh, Dallas is the pastor of a church in Jackson, Michigan. And they were wondering, how do we engage with our community? How do we reach out to our community? And so he, he had the leadership gathered together. He said, if you could do anything for the community, what would you do? What would you want to see the church do? What would we do if we could just do anything? But here's one rule for the conversation. Don't edit yourself. Don't criticize yourself. Don't think about why it's a bad idea. Dream. And one church member said, well, <laughs> I saw something once. Something he saw five years ago and had been sitting on. But never felt like he could really say it. <laughs> he said, I saw this church that had a free meal during the week for those who were food insecure. And it was like a restaurant. <laughs> like there were waiters and people made reservations and all the staff and chefs were volunteers and there was live music. And the church room looked like a restaurant. And he never mentioned this thing that he saw and hoped about because there wasn't space, but suddenly there was. 
And it began this thing called Cafe Connection. Once a week, they turn their church into a restaurant. They take reservations, and people come. This fall, they'll host 120 to 150 guests a week. All free, people reserve their birthday dinners there. People who haven't gone out on a date, gone out to a meal in years, maybe ever, show up and are shown dignity and love. Because five years before they started, somebody had a dream. And finally, he found a space where he could be encouraged to dream. Finally, he could reflect on what Christ has done for them, for the love that they have seen and been given, and imagine how they might be called to share it in their place and time. What would happen if we became dream encouragers? What might God bump into us? Where has God already bumped into you? but you didn't want to say it out loud because you were afraid of what people might think. Downstairs, we have this uh, notepad where people can write, God bumped into me when, and just give an experience. Are we fostering a way that we can like, be honest about ways that we might encounter God? I think the first page is full, so we'll tear it off and add a new page. But go downstairs and write. Where have you encountered God? And I want to encourage you this week to share with someone a dream that you have. Or better yet, ask somebody else of their dream. I did this this week with some strangers in a coffee shop. If you could ask a church to like do something in our community, what would it be? Anything. The answers were incredible. What might God do we became a people of dream encouragers. The people of God had waited for a rescuer. They dreamed and they hoped that one day God might set them free. Like Jacob, they felt scared and alone and in trouble. Maybe like you and me, they felt scared, alone, and in trouble. They dreamed. And then, in their midst, a blessing to all people. God in flesh, Jesus among them, came and lived and loved and offered forgiveness and new life a future that they could only dream about given to them, not just that they would fly away to it someday, but they could live in it now. A kingdom is at hand. Will you turn and believe? Will we dream together that we might see this kingdom all around us? What might happen if we could encourage God to meet us in our dreams, to meet others in their dreams. Perhaps, perhaps something so unfathomable as resurrection. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to be together and to dream. We thank you, God, for 
children in our midst who dream. And God, will you give us the faith of children to dream right alongside them, to encourage each other in our dreams, to pay attention to what you may be doing in the world. And may you help us not to just react and say no way, but to live, to respond as people who see your kingdom breaking in all around. God, thank you for meeting us. For meeting us on the cross. For meeting us even now by the power of your Spirit bumping to us again. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.